Good evening. Well, given the title of tonight's message and the subject, you're probably going to be praying soon. I'll go see the king. I want to see him sooner than I thought. And I don't mean to belittle God's word at all, but we're going to talk about bodily discharges. I can tell you that in all my years of preaching, this is the first time I've ever talked about bodily discharges. And why are we going to talk about it? Because God talks about it. Because God talks about it. And if God talks about it, it's something we should talk about. Yet we should do it with respect and honoring of God's word. Um, I was The elders, we meet uh, uh, Sunday nights and, and get together and pray and encourage and talk about things. And, and I said, boy, if I, you know, if I was 15, I'd be laughing through all of this, right? We're not going to take that approach. We're going to honor God's word. There's a purpose for it may seem to us so far off and so archaic, and who would ever talk about that? What? No. If it's in God's Word, it has eternal purpose. Eternal purpose in it. So we're going to do it tonight like we've done it the last few weeks. We're not going to stand and read the text. We're going to read it as we go through it, but we are going to pray, and then we're going to jump right on into it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are holding us fast as we sang. And we thank you that it's you holding us and not us holding on to you. Because if it was the other way around, we would have let go a long time ago. But we thank you that you'll never let go. For you tell us in your word that we are in your hand. And no one, no one, no one, No thing, no power, no situation, nothing can take us out of your hand. And Lord, you have promised us a destination that we're going to see the king one day. And we thank you that you hold us. Your promises are real. They do not change. They are for us. They are yes and amen in Christ. And we thank you for your word, which gives us insight and instruction, training in godliness on this side of heaven. And Lord, we ask that you be with us as we talk about bodily discharges, the subject of your word, that, Lord, we would gain insight and understanding into who you are, into your heart and your love for your children. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I said, laws about bodily discharges. Broken down into two categories, male discharges and female discharges. So we'll begin with male discharges. It says this in verses 1 and 2. And let me, let me stop and listen. We're, we're going to just state what God says. We're going to get some application. We're not going to... Uh, uh, God doesn't give much application in this, by the way. He just says this is the laws, and He has no other explanation for it, so we're kind of left up to figure it out for ourselves. I think we, I have some good insight into it, I hope, um, so we're just going to go through the material in a more academic kind of way, so we're not going to be 15 minutes, but we may not be a full 40, let's just put it that way. We'll see what God does. Male discharges. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Let's just stop there for one second. Until it came up to the priesthood, God always spoke to Moses, if you remember. 
And then at the concentration of the priests in Leviticus chapter 10, God spoke to Aaron. And now after that, it's been, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Together now, God says to them, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. Okay. Now, can you just imagine they're standing there and they're like, okay, uh, I didn't expect that from you, God. But God didn't. Said God said, and there's a law about it. There's a law about it. This is, is it in the Decalogue? Is it the, the Ten Commandments? No, but it's within the 613 plus laws of the Jews. This is one of them. And it says, verse 3, and this is the law of his uncleanness for his discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Now, runs means a flowing, a constant discharge blocked up. To be honest, I really don't know what that means. I don't know how it can be a discharge if it's blocked up. I looked. I can't find anything. I'll be honest. I didn't go overboard to look out to find what it means. Um, but we do know this. What is this discharge? It is an abnormal, persistent discharge from the sexual organ. That's what it means. Um, how do we know that? Well, look what it says in verse 4. Every bed on which the one with his discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. So they associate, most, most commentators associate that with the sexual organ. It's what you sit on and what you lie on. They will become unclean. The furniture itself will become unclean if there is a bodily discharge. And so God says this is the law. Don't touch. Don't touch. The person who has the discharge can't help but touch, but you don't need to touch the person who has the discharge. Anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be unclean until the evening. So somebody has a discharge. I sit on their bed. I sit on their chair that they sat on. I've touched them, whatever. I am now unclean until the evening. I am unclean until the evening. And what you do is you wash your clothes and you take a bath and then you will be clean. That's what God says. Verse 8 says this, And if one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, in other words, you don't have a discharge, and you're spit on by the person who has a discharge, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be clean until evening. Now, right away, I hope you're seeing there's a big difference between the skin diseases and the ceremonies for that and what's with a bodily discharge. The person spits on somebody, which, by the way, in Scripture, was a great insult to be spit upon. In the Middle Eastern culture, even today, to spit on somebody, it's just de it's de dehumanizing anyways. It was even, if you remember, in the story of Ruth and Boaz, that um, the kinsman redeemer, if he refused, said, I don't, I don't want to marry her, she was to take his sandal, spit in his face, and say, this is what is to be done to the one who has no sandal. Um, so it was, it was uh, to be spit on was something, I mean, either the person was nuts or you really ticked them off. 
right? But if you got spit on by somebody who has a bodily discharge from the sexual organ, you were to be unclean. Now, the question in all this, how would I know if they had a discharge or not, right? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Verses 9 and 10 say this, And any saddle on which the one he has a discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So you take the, 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 the saddle off the donkey or the camel, you carry it, and the person that sat on it had a discharge, you become unclean. So there's this idea that uncleanness is being transmitted to a person who is actually ceremonially clean. I touch somebody who is, has a discharge, I become unclean. But then God puts this in here. Verse 11. It's under wash your hands. It says, anyone with whom, anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without rinsed hands, without having rinsed his hands in water, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be unclean until evening. Make sure you wash your hands if you're going to touch somebody. That's what he's saying. I don't get all of it, but if the person who is unclean touches me and they haven't washed their hands, I become unclean, implying that if they had washed their hands and they have a discharge and they touch me, I'm still okay. Please, I'm trying to figure it out just as much as you, right? God says this. This is what it is. So the person who has the discharge is to wash their hands. Matter of fact, it even goes so far to say that if they have cookware, that they touch. There's a law for that. And an earthen vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken. And every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. So you have your cooking pot and the person with the discharge touches it, break the pot. It's no longer to be used. It's completely unclean. If they have a wooden vessel, you don't burn it, you clean it. It's actually the opposite, right? There's this idea of transmission of uncleanness. If you go back into Leviticus chapter 6, where it talks about the utensils within the temple were for the priests, and, and if somebody who was not a priest used a utensil of the temple, they would become holy. So holiness from the temple uh, uh, utensils was transmitted to a person, here, uncleanness is transmitted to a person. That's the whole concept here, the idea of transmission of uncleanliness. So you have the unfortunate uh, 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 occasion in which you have a discharge. God has a way for you to make atonement for it. And when the one with a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes. Now that's exactly the same as with a person with a skin disease so far. And he shall bathe his body in fresh water or living water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. 
So there was a way in which you were unclean, in which God made you to be clean before God, ceremonially clean, so that you could participate in temple worship. And God chose the absolute lowest cost way of having atonement made of two turtle doves. That's if you had a persistent chronic discharge. The Bible then tells us that what happens if there's a discharge of semen? Look what it says in verses 16 and 18. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. So the normal sexual activity of a husband and wife would make them unclean, though it is not unclean or unlawful to have sex with your legitimate God-ordained partner. If you're a man, it has to be a woman, and if you're a woman, it has to be a man. Um, The act itself was not unclean. It was the emission of semen which makes it unclean. Maybe that's why David says, surely in sin was I conceived. I don't know. That's all God says about it. We'll get to it in the end. Trust me. Well, if that wasn't uncomfortable enough for you, let's talk about female discharges, right? Verse 19 says, when a woman has a discharge and the discharge of her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. Okay. Ladies, I don't need to explain to you the menstrual cycle. You know. Um, Verse 20 says this, And everything on which she lies during her menstrual purity shall be unclean. Everything on which she sits shall be unclean. She sits on her bed, it's unclean. She sits on the chair, it's unclean. I sit on the bed, I sit on the chair, I am unclean. That's how this is working. Again, we would have to ask ourselves, how would you know? Something has to be said, right? Voluntary information has to be given. So God has a law for this too. Don't touch whatever they've sat on or whatever they touched. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when she touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. So the process of becoming clean from being transmitted by touching someone with a discharge is to just simply wash your clothes, take a bath, and at evening you shall be clean, right? And why is that significant of evening? When does the day start for the Jewish people? In the evening starts the day for the Jewish people. For us, it ends the day. For them, it began the day, actually. Verse 24 says this, And if any man lies with her, And her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. So now, if it's during the menstrual cycle that sexual activity happens, the man himself is unclean for seven days. 
God doesn't say why. I would have to imagine it has to do something with blood. I really couldn't find much on this. Scholars don't seem to delve into this area a whole lot to make explanation to us. Um, What we can take away is God says that this is an unclean thing. Not immoral, unclean. Right? Big difference. And there's a way for a woman to have atonement made for her. Verses 28 to 30, But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge." So again, the process is the same. Two turtle doves, two pigeons. You go to the entrance of the tent of meeting, uh, and you tell the priest, um, I just finished my menstrual period. Here's two pigeons, right? Culturally, that must have been very acceptable to them. Um, Just, I don't know, ladies, I would imagine you would be very uncomfortable going up to, you know, what if you had to tell me that you were, you know, you know what I'm saying? But culturally, for them, it was what God said to do. You are to announce this and say, I am I'm unclean because I have a bodily discharge. I, I have an emission. You know, my wife and I were intimate, so therefore I'm unclean. Don't touch me. It seems to us weird, right? It's like, whoa, what? Oh, man, God, you didn't have to have to put that in there? Really? But he did. There's a reason for it. God has a reason for everything He does. There is not one idle word in Scripture. Not one idle word in Scripture. This is why God says to do it. Look at verses 31 to 33. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the law of him who has a discharge and for him who has an omission of semen becoming unclean thereby. Also for her who is unwell with her menstrual menstrual impurity, that is, for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. So what's the purpose? Why did God put this in there? And, and, And well, he tells us, for them. It was for them. This was clearly for them, not for us today. But there is a purpose in it. There has to be a lesson to it. There has to be, because all of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. There is something in here about a bodily discharge, about semen and menstruation that points us to Jesus Christ. And if you're listening, you're probably going, this guy's totally lost it, man. You've become one of them wackies on television. No, That's what the Bible tells us. It is a story. It is a book about Jesus Christ. And this matters. So what is the point of it? The the Puritan Andrew Bonner, in his book on uh, Leviticus, his commentary on Leviticus, has this as the title for chapter, uh, uh, chapter 18 of his commentary. He says this. He goes, this is about the secret flow of sin from the natural heart typified in the running issue. So he equates a discharge with sinful behavior. I disagree with that. Scripture does not say that to us here in the text. It doesn't say anybody sinned. 
right? You can't help if you've had a discharge, right? It's something that's happened to you. Women, you cannot help your menstrual period. It's actually how God designed you, so it's almost kind of like, why did God say it's impure? That's how he's made me. But God did. We're not to question God on things. Just don't question God on it. God says it is an unclean, it is ceremonially impure, not morally impure. We have to make that distinction. So what is this really all about? Ultimately, the book of Leviticus is a book about holiness. And this is about holiness before the Lord. Holiness before the Lord. And there's big differences in the, in, the, in the listing of discharges as there were about someone who had a skin disease. First of all, this, well, like the skin disease, if someone had a skin disease, they had to go to the priest and say, look, I got this thing on my arm. I don't know what it is. Um, you got to check it out and tell me what to do. Same thing here. There was a voluntary, some other had to be a voluntary admission. Now, I would be far more comfortable, and probably would you, going to the priest and say, look, I got this red spot on my arm, as opposed to, uh, you know, I got an issue, and, you know, I really, can I talk to you privately? You know, but they had to. There also is a big difference. The person who had an unclean skin disease had to be outside the camp. Here, they're allowed inside the camp. They're inside their tent. They're living a normal life. Why? Because it's a pure, a, a ceremonially, a, a ceremonial purity issue. There's also in this, different from the skin diseases, and probably, thank God, there's no visual inspection. Right? You had a skin disease, you went to the priest and go, hey, check out this thing, what it is. This didn't go, hey, I got a discharge, check it out. What's it? You didn't do that. It was just not done. What we do learn is that the person with the discharge can transmit uncleanliness. That it can go, I have the discharge, I shake your hand, you are now unclean, at least till evening. You must wash your clothes, take a shower, and you'll be clean. The process for getting over the, when, when the discharge has ceased, when God has healed you of it, I guess, uh, in terms of the chronic one, in the terms of the one of normal sexual relations and menstruation, God does the process. God takes that away. God has a built-in biological process for that. But when that process is over, you're to wash with water and you'll be cleansed. You count off seven days. On the eighth day, God only requires the lowest cost offering. There's no lamb involved in it. There's no perfect lamb a year. Like, remember for the skin diseases, it was three. You had to have a year-old lamb, perfect, and you have two others that were perfect. Here, it's just two pigeons or two turtle doves, whichever one you could afford. I believe the secret to understanding all this, or the key, that's the better word, to understanding it, is actually found in verse 31. Let me read it for you again. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness. Here, I believe, lies the key to it. 
lest they die in their uncleanliness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. Wow. See, the person with the skin disease or other things were outside the camp. The person with the discharge was inside the camp, and they still had access to the tabernacle. God says, if you come in uncleanliness, you're going to defile the tabernacle. Remember, there was a transmitting of uncleanliness. You were unclean to a discharge, to a semen or a menstrual period. You were unclean, and you could transmit that uncleanness to somebody else, even implying here the tabernacle itself. Now imagine if you came in an unclean state to the tabernacle, you would die, unless you die in your uncleanliness. It should still be fresh in the mind of the people, the children of the people of Israel. What happened to Nadab and Abihu, who came in a wrong manner before the Lord with strange fire? They didn't make it five feet and got incinerated them on the spot. So imagine you coming. You know, I just want to keep it secret. It's a private matter, which would totally, in our culture, be completely understandable. I don't go around announcing my ailments. to be. I guess, I guess when you get old, sometimes you do that. Um, so I guess, I guess I do that because my knees hurt and my back hurts. Um, you go and announce your ailments to the priest. The people around you say, hey, this is what's going on. So don't, uh, this is my bed for now. Don't touch it. Um, don't touch that chair. That's only going to be for me. Uh, and it was the idea of, of, of communal holiness, of communal holiness, of a people being separate. They didn't want to bring their uncleanliness into the temple, because what if they got to the temple, they offered their sacrifices, and they defiled the altar? Well, God would take that very serious. That would really affect the rest of the children of Israel because in, um, let me put on my glasses here, in Exodus 29, 37, it tells us it's a seven-day process to cleanse the altar. You imagine the sacrifices, the children of Israel stopping for seven days? Would you want to be that guy that stopped up the works for seven days of offering of your sins being atoned for on the altar because you didn't want to tell somebody you had a discharge? Right? Now all of a sudden it matters, right? That culture, it mattered to them. To us, it doesn't matter. But there was also the purpose, I believe, of separating them from the pagan religions. Because in the pagan religions... They had cult prostitution. Sex was part of their worship. And it was an abomination to God. I believe it was also the curb them from engaging in prostitution to have sex outside of your marriage because if it would make me unclean, then I, wouldn't, I, would, I would be less uh, inclined to go and participate in something that would make me unclean. So I'm going to stick with my wife in it. It would be an overall idea of curbing immorality. Of curbing immorality. Gordon uh, Wenham, in his commentary, writes this. The rules about bodily discharges give symbolic expression to the laws barring intermarriage with the Canaanites and prohibitions against foreign customs and religion, 
which conflicted with Israel's special status as the one elect and holy nation. This was something, these laws were something that were to separate them from the rest of the people on the earth. Not only was it circumcision, it was their way of worship, how they worshiped, and the laws of which God put upon the people made them separate from everybody else. So ultimately, the laws of bodily discharges, from what I, can, what I understand, is the fact, uh, is, is laws about holiness, about being clean and pure before God. So maybe there actually is something to Andrew Bonner saying, you know what, what's the secret stuff in here? Are you coming to the temple defiled? Are you coming in a way in which God says, I don't accept your offerings? Or is there stuff in us, a secret in us, that we're not willing to share, uh, uh, things that are going on in us, that, that we're holding to ourselves, and, and God says, because of that, your prayers are not being answered because your sins have separated you from God. Is there something to it? Can we make that application? I think it's a logical one. I think we could make it today. It's ultimately an issue of holiness. God demanded that the people be holy. God also commands us. And as far as I know, other than honoring the Lord and loving your neighbor as yourself, the other command that comes through in Scripture is, I am holy, therefore you be holy. In Leviticus 19, in a couple chapters, uh, uh, I think, I think you might be doing, I don't know who's 19, I'm not doing 19, but it says this, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And so when you come to the Lord, come clean. Right? Come clean. This is my issue, God. And it may mean that you have to come to your pastor, your elder, or somebody say, hey, listen, I got this issue. I'm struggling with this. Would you pray with me? Would you help me? Would you come alongside me? So that you don't bring anything into the camp, as it were, and let it possibly spread as gangrene and defile many and and just make a mess of things. I'm going to leave it there. I hope you got something out of it. If you have a bodily discharge... Don't come see me. Go see your doctor. God will take care of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. And Lord, it was uncomfortable for me. But Lord, I thank you for your word. Your word, well, Peter says, you alone have the words of life. These are words of life. They don't seem to fit our culture We could care less about immorality in our culture. Matter of fact, we promote it in our culture. We're as far from you as possible. The Lord use us to teach us to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. To be holy. Lord, that if there's anything in us that that we're hiding and we're ashamed of, Lord God, that we would bring it to you because we have been brought near By your blood, you have washed us. You have cleansed us. You've made us whole. There is now nothing that needs to separate us from you. 
because the cross of Christ has covered it. And so, Lord, we ask that we would be encouraged in your word this night. And we say it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song.